0: And welcome everyone to the Closing Bell Show, where you can invest with the best. This week we had former Bureau of Statistics employee Joseph Politano on. He takes us through the current macroeconomic climate in the US, what the job market really looks like, and he gives us his thoughts on whether or not he thinks we are headed for a recession. If you're enjoying our content, be sure to check out our full content library at gems.closingbell.co. I thought the best place to start would be uh to get the just the ABCs of Joe. Um obviously you're a financial writer, you're a great financial writer. Um and I've been keeping tabs on some of the work that you've been doing over the over the last few weeks as I've come to learn about learn about you. And that's why I reached out and I thought, you know, wow, like um I need to have him on the show alongside all these other great financial writers just to add add a bit of depth. So we have a lot of people who come on and talk about stocks, um, but you're more macro macro specific. Um and that's something we haven't had on yet. So someone who can talk broadly about the market um, and and give us their their insight. So maybe we'll start with that. We'll start with the ABCs of Joe, and then we can jump into some more questions I have about some of the more recent articles you've written.
1: Yeah. So I'm uh, Joseph Politano. I ha- was an employee at the Bureau of Labor Statistics here in DC. Before that, I was at uh, the Peace Corps. Abroad in Uganda, and I studied econ at the George Washington University. And I've been writing uh, a um, which is my newsletter, my substack about mostly uh, deep dives on macro indicators within the U.S. Um, and a lot of data releases here and abroad, trying to make sense of the data in an increasingly complex global economy. Um, and so I've been writing now for about a year and it's become my full-time job very recently. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I'm very thankful to be on the show today. And I'm very thankful for people who've been reading for a year or even just for uh, a couple months. <laughs> <And now laughs> it's your first exposure.
0: Yeah. Is this is, Are you a investor as well? Or are you mostly, is your, is your primary kind of job here to provide commentary on the markets, I, I do my job as to sort of interpret this
1: data mm. uh, in the best way I can, and then leave how you react to that to you. So, mm. if people are reading this data and they say, um, "Hey, this is how I'm going to change my investment thesis because I think, you know, maybe this is the reason the U.S. economy is better than I thought, or worse than I thought, or these sectors are going to be harder hit than I thought," and mm. I'm going to evaluate that. But I, uh, at policy, I believe uh, that my comparative advantage is not in investing specifically. It's in interpreting this data and then other people can take that
0: and do with it as they may. Yeah. Now, if if you were to think of the top two, the top two people that you really admire in your space, let's call it investing or um, in the macroeconomic environment, economists perhaps, so if you think of two, who's the second person that comes to mind?
1: Who's the second person? Okay. Yeah. Um, I am a big fan of Rory Johnson, if you know and he's also on SubStack. Yeah. And he writes commodity context, which is a newsletter um about like big data analysis specifically on oil markets, but also incorporating like natural gas and some some other commodities. And that's obviously been like a crazy, uh, crazy market to watch over the last like year or two years, even, um, as he went from like a total bear market in 2020 and early 2021 to having this like, uh, weak response in the U S and like rising oil prices that everyone was trying to decipher to the war in Ukraine and the impact there where now energy prices in Europe were skyrocketing and oil and energy prices in the U S are, are very high. It's very funny in retrospect because, uh, one of my refrains that like COVID has broken everyone's brains on data. Where if you had told me that like uh, if you told me that natural gas spot prices in the U.S. would jump, be like, oh my god, that must have been a disaster. Like I have no, what could have possibly caused this? would be falling apart. And I'm looking at like U.S. natural gas prices basically doubling. I'm like, ah, oh, it's fine <laughs> compared to what's going on in Europe. Like, oh, I'm so thankful to be in the states right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's what they were. Um, uh, it, it, a lot of uh, I think the big story that's been underreported is maybe a lot of data people relied on, kind of broke down during COVID because collecting it was harder or interpreting it was harder or something that happened in the background people didn't notice that uh, made it less reliable, and that's part of uh what I
0: see the the, the value for cadence, hundred percent. Um, and that's exactly what I see the value in it. Uh, Too now, I'm, I'm on your I'm on your Substack as we speak. I love the branding. You you wrote an interesting article uh, called "Are We in a Recession?" Um, I was thinking that maybe you could break this down to us uh, in layman terms. You know, starting from as simple as you know, what is a recession in your mind? Um, but then also, could you teach us a little bit about tracking recession risk? So you talk about recession risk, and you talk about how to measure recession severity. Uh, as it happens so maybe you can take us through the whole life cycle because some of the listeners may not be completely aware like how you define what a recession is i know we we talk about recession in terms of two negative quarters of um of, of gdp growth um but maybe there's other factors that we don't know about
1: yeah so it's it's funny because i think there's a a, a general consensus of uh, layman psychological interpretation of recession which is that if, if the economy is visibly worsening. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like a point 3 economy economist definition, which is, you know, are these metrics of real output, uh, real manufacturing output, real employment, real GDP declining? Uh, and very clearly in that de- first bar is the economy bad. Do people feel bad in the economy is met basically ever because mm-hmm. of how uh, rapid inflation has been, because of real wage declines, because of increases in the prices of like food and energy and other necessities, people are understandably in a lot worse financial situation. The poindexary economist uh, definition of a recession is still kind of up for debate. So the two quarters of negative GDP thing is important. A lot of countries outside the U.S. have a hard definition there. But in the U.S., it's not really a hard definition. So like the 2001 recession actually never had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Mm. Uh, and in in a situation like in the 1970s where you had big population growth, you could have like lowering liver, living standards but still positive uh, mm. GDP growth for, for several years. Yeah. And on top of that, we got data today as a recording about gross domestic income, which is supposed to be exactly equal to gross domestic profit, basically like two ways of measuring Economy from different angles, but it should be the same picture. And as of right now, they're very different So, if you're mm. looking at pessimistic income, it's saying that there's a lot of inflation. Um, that growth is still low, but it's positive, mm. and that uh, it's slowed down more than it is a recession. If you're looking at mm. GDP data, basically saying inflation is lower, it's going to be lower than you expect. It's still pretty high that real output has been declining fairly significantly um, and that like we're either near a recession or there's very high risks in the immediate future. Mm. Um, and so on that respect, it really depends like what sources are you going to believe and they're supposed to be equivalent. And I think uh, the evidence is that risk mass income tends to be better as like a live indicator but even that's not like good. Christmas savings is in like a, a a bad place. If you're looking at it, saying, "Well, this means the U.S. economy is doing well." On the flip side, it means inflation in the U.S. is, is probably going to be um, worse and, and hold on for a bit longer than if you were looking at GDP. Yeah. Uh, and, but the and the big metric. Yeah, the, the go- big metric. If you think about it, if you're like, "What is a recession?" At the very most simplistic level. Mm. Recession is when people lose jobs, you know? Mm. And on that front, we have maybe seen some stagnation in employment level, like four or five months of like slower employment growth, especially if you look at uh surveys that track unemployment and not surveys that track the number of workers. But definitely not a recession yet based on employment. The problem with that is that usually, once employments once people are losing their jobs, you're already it's already you know. If you're trying to look for one ahead of time, you're looking at the employment rates. You're going to miss the
0: boat. Mm-hmm. And in terms of recession risk and and measuring recession severity, um, well, can you first define what it means to track recession risk? Because that's something you wrote about, um, and we'll start there. And then we'll talk about measuring, I guess, re- recession severity. On the back end of
1: that yeah um i, I think i made a, a joke there is that the, the economists are famously really bad at predicting recession yeah. and some of that is for understandable reasons because if you like knew a recession was coming you'd stop it <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> and then it wouldn't happen and then your prediction's wrong so what are we doing here but know, there are there are some indicators you can look at that provide pretty good baseline assumptions about like what uh What do business think the risk of a recession is? Mm. Uh and so the indicators I really like to look at is high yield, credit spreads, and they're basically saying, where are these businesses that are very risky or have distressed debt uh, or maybe the least profitable or the least <laughs> successful mm. businesses? What's the chance that they default? They don't mm. pay back their debt. Mm. And... You know, and in, investors in these companies are very attuned to recession risk because at the slightest downturn, these companies going to get hit the hardest. Mm. Um, those were very like historically low in two thousand twenty one. Mm. Uh, when the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates, they start going up, which is you know kind of the intended goal. If you were listening to Jerome Powell, he was saying like we. We saw financial conditions getting worse. We were happy about that mm. because they, they view financial conditions are were getting worse. People spend less, less inflation. We're going to get that under control. Uh those, those spreads peaked in June and they peaked at a level that would be like the worst than a 2019 slowdown, but not as bad as a 2016 slowdown. 2016 was maybe like a mini recession, like concentrated in manufacturing and some durable goods and some investment stuff, uh, like not a broad slowdown and uh, not many people lost their jobs. But it sixteen, twenty nineteen 2019 was like even less of a slowdown than that. So it was somewhere in between. And since that, because oil prices come down a lot uh, in the US and like the energy picture has gone a little bit rosier. Uh, those, those financial conditions have ease. And you view that as a reduction in recession risk. Uh, and I do. I think that recession risk probably peaked in June, But it's contingent. If inflation is still really high, if inflation is still out of control, the Fed's going to have to keep raising rates. You're going to have to see credit spreads keep worsening. Recession risks keep increasing uh, for them to try to get under control. Um, and So like I said before, we were talking about the, the GDP and GDI numbers. Both of those are definitely in slowdown territory. Uh, one statistic I like is, uh, it's very complicated. It's a very nerdy one. Real final sales to private domestic purchasers. And that's like a very nerdy way of saying what's the total of what people are uh, consuming in the economy and what businesses are investing. And that number very, very rarely is not positive. So almost always people are consuming more and businesses are investing.
0: That number hit
1: zero last quarter. Um, and it very rarely hits zero outside of reception. And again, The caveat is the GDP numbers look weaker than the GDI numbers, but that still to me is a very scary thing. Yeah. When was the last time that, that
0: number hit zero out of curiosity?
1: I think it was 2007-2008. I can look this up right
0: now. Yeah, go for it. It And was, was, and yeah, you go for it.
1: (coughs) A little more difficult than I anticipated. Yes. It was Q1, 2008, the last time it was, uh, basically zero. And then before that, it was
0: like Q2, 2001. Yeah, and and just just quickly going back to your point on the defaults, what was the name of that? Was it the high yield credit spread? Was that the the index that you you were tracking for for that?
1: Yeah, there's different ones. Um, I like Bank of America's. Um, it's it's uh Bank of America and ICE, the financial company. Um, and what they do is they they have an option adjusted spread, so they're they're adjusting for the fact that like. Sometimes these are callable or, or whatnot. Um, but if you had looked at that, uh, this, the spreads reached like the lowest point of about 300 basis points in like late 2021. Yep. And then they peaked at like 600 basis points in mm-hmm. July. Uh, they've been down since then. They're down now to about 450. So obviously these things, it varies day to day, how people are, are feeling about the economy, but. You know uh you know that that 600 number would have been the highest since 2016, excluding the early pandemic pandemic the, like
0: March 2020 every every data indicator looked really bad yeah yeah now on on what's happening now in the site so in your in your report you mentioned uh official data showed the second consecutive quarterly decline in u s real gross domestic product uh output declined at an estimated zero point nine percent uh annualized rate. Um so that's two negative quarters of negative GDP growth. Um is what's the outlook for the US? Like firstly are they are, are they would you consider them to be in a recession? And two, um what's the outlook for the next 18 months? Um what
1: do you I would say Yeah, I would say as of right now, I would not make that that call that the US is in a recession. I think uh, the data is too mixed, that it's clear that it's a slowdown, and a persistent slowdown of maybe six to nine months, hmm. um, but it's not outright contraction. I think the big risk is that you're saying everything in the real economy points to a slowdown. But if you look at, you know, total consumer spending, if you look at total, um super income or, or business profits on a nominal basis, on a on a dollar basis, they're increasing really rapidly. Uh, and so if you look at, say, well, gross domestic income is a, a good example. Basically, with the total amount everybody in the economy is, that increased at 10% annualized rate last quarter. Um, mm-hmm. And if the amount that everyone's earning is increasing by 10% and the real economy is not growing, that's, you yeah, know, 10% inflation. Um, yeah. I think the, the forecast would probably be that that number, that earnings number comes down to say 5% by a year from now. And the real growth number picks up to like 1%, 2%. So you end up with, you know, if you look at uh, some of the data on inflation forecasts, it's like 6%, 7% by the end of this year. Um, mm. And then by this time next year, like three or 4%. Those numbers are very bad by uh, pre-pandemic standards, but they're less bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, And so I think I think there has been a bit of a uh, corner turned. Mm. So if you look at like, like I said, oil prices coming down significantly. Um, if you look at car production, which was a really big issue in the US where you had a semiconductor shortage, and then a shortage of cars and that push inflation up. That looks like it's going to be alleviating. Um, but it really does all hinge on does inflation improve in the way that the, the federal reserve wants and really quickly, like within the next year or so, because the, it doesn't improve. And right now you have like peak interest rates by the end of this year, right end of 2022. If it doesn't improve, that means you have to push interest rates higher, and that's when you
0: increase the risk of recession. Yeah. Switching gears slightly, you, you wrote about um, mortgage rates, uh, and you wrote that the movements in mortgage rates are unique in modern American history for both their size and speed. What, so this is, this is a question that you kind of answered in that report, but I thought I'd get your, your first-hand take on it, which was what happens after mortgage rates hit a 13-year hi it's the the answer that uh, nobody builds,
1: builds homes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um my my favorite thing is to look at so people care about the price of a home you know but principally if you're buying a home in the u.s you care about what's the monthly payment on the 30-year mortgage yeah. and redfin has this good thing where they track like if you got the median interest rate and you bought the median apps what would your payment Mm. That number's up like 50%. And now really, in my mind, that's not sustainable. Mm. You know, either you have to see prices decline so that the payment gets back to something normal. It's not like people suddenly start earning 50%. Money. <laughs> um, so either interest rates decline so that the the homes are affordable at something close to current prices, or prices decline so that they're affordable at current interest rates. The difficulty in this like immediate moment, or maybe like the next. Uh, let's say, you know, if you believe the crab forecast interest interest rates peak in say early 2023 and they start slowly coming down from there, if you believe that forecast, what it basically means is that mortgage rates are gonna stay really high for the next uh, six to eight months, because Repayment risk is a serious risk. Yeah. You know, if someone takes out a mortgage and then interest rates go down six months later and then they refinance that mortgage, well, the original lender, you know, lost, basically lost that that asset. They got the cash back and they were trying to lend the cash out. Now they have to lend it out at a lower rate. They're upset about that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, rates on mortgages have increased more than rates on, on treasuries and on U.S. government debt. And they're so high that if you look at like new housing starts in America, mm-hmm. they're down you know twenty five percent for single family, which is mm-hmm. just a a tremendous amount, something we have not seen since like two thousand five two thousand six.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not there's nothing structurally wrong, like there was in two thousand and six two thousand and seven. There's nothing structurally wrong, principally because
1: um almost all the mortgages now are are backed by the government-sponsored enterprises so a yeah. lot of the um a lot of the companies that you think like create mortgages really what they're doing is they're um they're uh, what's the best way to say yeah. this they're processing the mortgage and then they get it certified by benny or Freddie, and then it gets sold immediately so they don't actually have any exposure to uh the mortgage as an asset, the only exposure they have is fees that they generate off of originating these mortgages. Um, and because nowadays, like the adjustable rate mortgages, which really screwed people over in 2008, uh, 2007, 2008, are basically all gone. Um, and because a lot of people have more equity in their house than they did in, in 2008, I think the risks there, the risks the housing market principally about uh, risks to home builders more than they are home lenders. that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Do, do you have any, and I'll jump into another part of what you wrote about, which is really just about um, the jobs report. But I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on if you have any on, I, I was reading some articles about um, used car, there being a used car problem in, in the States and people sort of leveraging themselves up on buying all of these snacks. You know, I don't know Carvana very well, but all of these kind of um, leases, the car leases. Do you have any info on that? Have you done any research on that and in, in how that's impacting people's ability to pay pay debts in in the context of their car leases or otherwise?
1: Yeah, if you look at um, if you look at delinquency rates on on auto loan, they're like increasing, uh, but they're still way below where they were in in twenty twenty. But I think it's consistent with the idea, you know, if you had, if you had bought a car in 2019, bought a used car in 2019, it's probably increased in value by something like 30 or 40%. So even if you are per se, underwater alone, it can be pretty easy to to basically borrow against that again. um, And nobody bought a car, (laughs) nobody bought any used cars in 2021 because there was you know massive shortage of new cars which trickled down to nobody selling their used cars. Um uh, so I don't worry about that from a from a like systemic liquidity perspective, also because auto loans are a much smaller share. Yeah. And people generally they don't people don't buy cars with the expectation that they'll increase in value. So there's a lot less like levered trading of cars going on. <laughs> um but I do think there's a there's a worry because of how essential cars are to um, infrastructure and life in America. That them being so expensive is like a real economic drag. Um, the good news on that front is in in 2021, you know, car production was sitting at maybe 75 to 80 percent of normal levels, um, and now it's back to like 100 percent. In practice, that means there's still like 4 million or so missing cars because there's a cars that should have been assembled in 2021 or 2020. They never were. So there's still a shortage, but it's a shortage that's getting better. So if you look at like the uh, Blue Book or Black Book uh, car valuations over the last like month or two months, they've been decreasing pretty substantially. Decreasing by like 4 or 5%. And 5% a month is like crazy movements. <laughs> Compare again, this is one of those things where everyone remembers a few years ago when it was like 20%, but 5% a month compared to the before the pandemic's crazy movement. And that should hopefully help with uh, inflation in the US. That should hopefully help with like real output too. Um, I was doing the math on this. If you've got cars, you've got used cars back to Normal prices that would shave like one and a half percent off inflation. If you got new cars back to normal prices, that would shave like another percent. Um, getting new cars back obviously a lot harder. The the car companies, you know, uh, I saw an ad recently where I I was just so baffled by this. They were like, "Oh, by the twenty twenty three, uh, whatever model car it was," and I wasn't paying attention. And then it had like the uh, at the end. I had the, the speaker talking really quickly and being like, "The 2023 cars are out. By the way, we don't have any on the left, but you can reserve a weightlift spot for 2024." <laughs> I was like, "Oh boy, <laughs> why are you advertising the 2023 cars? You're out." <laughs> <laughs> but there, that's just like this just goes to show how you know how how bad that uh, shortage. So, it would take a lot for new car prices to come down, um, even if you ran you know, because if you ran the factories at 100%, and that's presuming that you could get every input part, fix every other part of the supply chain, you get all the imports you want from Mexico and China, you run the factories at 100%, it will take you a year and a half to, to catch up. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Um, now, I'm going to switch gears slightly. I, I do have a couple of other questions, um, but we'll we'll jump into the jobs report first, and then kind of the the lingering questions i'll ask at the end so um you published uh this article on the jobs report. So every month the the bureau bureau of labor statistics publishes an update on the employment situation in the states colloquially called the jobs report you wrote a piece on this called uh labor market mystery hour it's a very nice title um could you you explain (laughs) uh the current state of employment in the u.s and where you think where you think it's heading like is it is it as we spoke about this at the beginning, and you mentioned that, you know, unemployment isn't so bad. It's slowing down, I think you said. Um, could you add some color to that and where you think that's heading over the next kind of like 12 months and whether that's a problem for the states?
1: Yeah, so there, there's two. The, the interesting thing in America is you have two separate surveys. You're collecting jobs. data. So on the one side, you call businesses and you ask them, how many employees do I have. On the other side, you call people and you ask them, do you have a job? Um, and those measures should line up fairly well. Yeah. You know, Obviously, you you're calling right businesses and, and the right amount of people, and you're doing this all in a very careful way, which the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics does. Those numbers should approximately equal. Over the last four months, if you looked at the, the business survey, you would basically say this is like roaring hundreds of thousands of jobs added a month. Millions of jobs added. Forder, this is such strong growth that would almost be inconceivable before. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, the household survey, you basically say this was pretty strong growth for uh, a year and a half. And then in uh, March, basically all stopped. But mm-hmm. so in four months, there's been like near over. Uh, and that to me is worrying because if you look at like the percent, if you look at the percent of working age adults have a job, that's like a good leading recession indicator. It tends to stall uh, right before a recession, and it stalls for a long period of time. So, if you look at two thousand and one, it stalled for uh, I want to say nine months before the recession. If you two thousand seven, stalled basically the full year. So, I, I get worried that it stalled for now like four months. It, uh, but on the flip side, like the payroll survey is so strong that, mm-hmm. oh, business are so strong that you almost can't discount it. So I went through and I was saying, is it possibly people working two jobs, which it definitely is somewhat, because there mm-hmm. people leaving self-employment. So in the US, if you were like working for Uber, you were self-employed and then you work, now you work for an actual business. You know, you did get a job legally. You had a kind of, you were self-employed and you got a nine to five job. Uh, but that's counted as an additional job. It's a little bit of that, um, but the majority of the, the gap is like unexplainable. So you have to hope that it's either um, you hope that it's either something that's being missed when you're calling people and asking them to have a job, or that it's explainable through something like higher immigration. In um, mm-hmm. to boost the job numbers, would be good. That's good for America because it means you know people are are traveling again, they're coming back to the U.S. We had a shortage of a lot of summer workers because people weren't allowed to come in due to COVID. So that would be good, but it would still be worrying that the number of people with the job uh, has kind of stayed. And so I was uh, tentatively trying to suss out what was going on there. Then this week, we got another update from the Bureau of Labor Statistics where they basically said, um, they do revisions occasionally. So they, they first, they do the survey of and then they check back in later with more comprehensive data, update things. And they came out with an update and they said, actually, there was like 500,000 more work than we thought in March. <laughs> and I was like, so, it's, so the gap is even bigger than <laughs> that. And so, so it really depends. It's just like uh, my, my thesis that a lot of things going on in the US are very mixed. Mm. Um, it's really hard in real time to know what's going on. Um, but I, right now, I think it's clear for both surveys that like the job market is still fairly strong. Mm. Um, the difference is, it is a job market that's like stagnant versus one that's growing. Uh, and then the GDP data is one that's like slowly growing versus one that's contracting. Mm. So if, you were, if you're looking at the job data, both of them, you're more optimistic. I'm you're more optimistic that if you were looking at like output data. <laughs> yeah,
0: 100 percent Um, thanks for that, Joseph. Um, now just last question, and it's more of kind of like a zoom out question. I I was reading a a Ray Dalio came out with a book. Um, I forget what it's called now, but it was something about it was it was about tracking kind of the the cyclical nature of empires throughout history and you know how there's sort of this, you know, pretty consistent. You know, growth pathway, and then they kind of top and then they start to decline, and then someone else comes up after them. and he was uh, he talks about it a lot in the context of the u s and China. Um, do you have a view on any of that? Like do you have a view on where, where the u s. sits in in their relationship and in their competition with with China as being kind of the world economy? Obviously, the us. is still kind of the leading the leading player here, but China seems to have a foothold um it's dealing in manufacturing and ability to disrupt supply chain and logistics um and everyone's manufacturing there so we really were seeing a lot of people come and manufacturing back home domestic manufacturing sort of coming back a little, a little bit more to protect themselves but do you have a do you have a thought on on would well, do you have an opinion on on that relationship
1: yeah this is very capital and macro yeah. question yeah yeah i was I was talking to someone about this yesterday saying it, it, i think if you would asked that question in 2021 mm. uh, i would have given a radically different answer than i'm today you know and i think it's remarkable um but you, you know this anyone who's like paying attention i know there's so much going on right now <laughs> there's so many different messes that <laughs> people kind of forgot that all the messes that are going on in china right starting with um, like Evergrande and the major property developers mm. having financial troubles. Now you're into, you have several months of of lockdowns, into this major drought, into these power surges, into this like complete uh, collapse of home building markets within China. So I think, you know, their position looks a lot, a lot weaker than it did even uh, a year ago, which mm. goes to show like how how hard they seem How quickly things can change Um, from like a capital and macro perspective. My position on this has always been that the the key thing is uh, how does like the, the dankest bargain work itself out the idea that, okay, we've promised very high uh, GDP growth, very high growth in living standards in exchange for uh, total control over political and social life. Um, and I think that that bargain, it starts to look a lot worse when they're not delivering on. Uh, and I think the, the big worry, if you're, you know, um, from a macro perspective, if you're like a China bull, the big worry for them is demographic, is that they have an older population Um, a population that's going to start shrinking if it hasn't already Mm. um, with, like, lower immigration rates than the U.S. And the U.S. still will have a growing population while most of of Europe and Asia has, like, a shrinking population. But that, to me, I'm not someone who believes uh, demographics is everything. But that, to me, is, like,
0: a very important thing uh, that I think gets overlooked in that discussion. 100%. Joseph, Thanks so much for coming on, man.